And I want to take you to a, a sort of a foreshadowing of a transformational relationship with God that, that Jesus shared with all the Jews who were together for what is called the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. It's a, like an eight-day festival. Seven days, the same thing happens time and time again. And, and I'll explain what that was. But on the eighth day, they, they stop this special ceremony and just have a, a huge assembly together in, in the temple grounds in Jerusalem. So there, Jerusalem is filled with its people, but also with tens of thousands of pilgrims who come. And, and what happens is, is that uh, the high priest goes from the temple to this pool, which we'll find about uh, next week, called the Pool of Siloam. And he has two pitchers, both made of gold. And, and he dips them into the Pool of Siloam. And he begins to walk back. And lining the streets are all these tens of thousands of pilgrims. And as they walk along, there is a phrase that they continually repeat. Because this feast commemorates the days in which the Jews were uh, in the wilderness for 40 years. And they could not provide for themselves, so they had to learn to trust God to provide for them. And what they couldn't do on their own, God had to do. So he brought them meat and he brought them bread. And time and time again in the wilderness, he brought them water. So as this group of people walked, as the priest walked by, this is what the people would shout almost like it was a parade. And every time the picture goes by, it would be almost like a wave of hearing this sound. We will draw water from the well of salvation with joy. And so that was repeated and, and rehearsed and recited through the whole procession. Now, on the eighth day, there is no procession. So the people are standing in the temple all together. And usually what happens is they get with certain rabbis... And the rabbis sit on the ground and, and the people ask questions and he teaches them. But on this time it says this. I'm in John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. On the greatest day of the feast, meaning the last day, when they don't do that procession, Jesus stood and said, it actually says, shouted, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He wants everybody to hear him. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him uh, were later to receive. So it's that very special moment. And his promise is streams of living water will flow from the one who lives or who puts his trust in, in Jesus. So he's. They're celebrating God's provision of water, physical water in the desert for people's bodies. But he's now saying God is providing something for you that you could never provide for yourself. Instead of a pool of water outside of you that you'll drink and bring in, God's saying there'll be living water from inside of you that will flow out. It comes from within and it flows out. And by this, it finally says, he meant the Holy Spirit or the spirit whom uh, who, uh, who, those who believed in him would later receive. Wow. Something is happening here that he is saying the transformation in you will be caused not because you make a big decision, not, not because you... Get all your willpower together and decide, I'm going to do this. The transformation 
almost like Jim was sharing with you, comes from within. And that transformation is the Holy Spirit. And what he's asking us is the same thing he asked them. It's a question that has to be asked time and time again. It's this. Yeah, here at 8,000 foot altitude, we have to drink a lot of water. We know we get thirsty and dehydrated. But Jesus is saying, are you thirsty for God? In your life, can you say, are you thirsty for God? Can you say, I want to drink more of him. I want more of him in my life. See, if not, if you're here this morning and you can you can honestly say, I'm really not very thirsty. Maybe the rest of this message could motivate you. But if you are here, and it, then I want you to know that this message and the rest of it will inform and direct you on how God can do this. But also inform and direct you, you can't do it alone. You can't do it without him. This is God's work that he wants to do in you. So who is this Holy Spirit? Later in John chapter 14, Jesus is at another great festival of the Jews. It's the Feast of Passover. He would soon go to his cross, into his tomb, and be resurrected. But at this gathering for Passover, they go through the entire meal. But Jesus also teaches his 12 disciples. And he teaches them in a way in which he's never taught them before. And he's telling them that he is going away. And, of course, they're, you know, they're struck with grief. Wait a minute. We've spent the last three years or so with you, and now you're leaving? And yet here is how he supports them. He says in verses 16 to 18, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. He's going back to the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he lives within you or with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. They would be without Jesus, but they would not be without God. God's presence would continue with them. And it's going to be done through another counselor. The first counselor, Jesus. Why? Because he comes in the flesh and stands beside these 12 people and, and he disciples them and, and, and loves them and he eats with them and they spend great months of time together. So they could put their trust in the God in the flesh that they could see and touch and feel. Jesus proves that God exists through his physical life, through his flesh. But now he's saying, I'm going to send God's spirit and it will be God. He will be God without flesh. Still completely God, but not really visible as Jesus was. In essence, the Holy Spirit is Jesus undercover. It's like he's doing undercover work. Yet his presence would be real and it would open a relationship to the Jews and to all of those who put their trust in Jesus in ways that they had never dreamed of before. It would be a transformational relationship with God. Now, God would be with everyone who placed their trust in Jesus, not just those who could be physically near him. He would be with all of his children through the presence of his spirit. Now God would be not just with everyone, but like the 12 who knew him intimately because he spent time with him, now he would be with each follower of Jesus. And that relationship would be more than just the Spirit being with you. It would be the Spirit in the believer. Well, 
If someone comes into your home and decides, I'm going to live here with you, wouldn't you want to know a little bit more about who's coming? If it is a promise that the Spirit comes when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, and I believe that promise is true, then don't we have to ask the question, who are you? What are you like? What, what can I, you know, what, what can I assume? What's it going to be like to be having God living within me? And so we need a resume here. And, and, and Jesus does it in just in the next two verses as he's telling his disciples who the Holy Spirit is and what it'll be like. He says, all this uh, I have spoken while I was still with you. But the counselor, first of all, he's called the counselor. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So he's going to be with us and he's going to be in us. And now let's look at who's taking residence here. Who is? Can you agree with that assumption, that, that promise that Jesus made? He's just not someone who's an encouragement like Jesus was next to me, but instead he's dwelling inside of me. Now, when I received Jesus Christ, I was told that that was a fact. I didn't feel anything. I didn't sense anything was different. Just as Jim was saying, it took some hours for him. I'm still working on it, okay, of having the Spirit be more in control of my life. So you don't necessarily feel any different, but it doesn't mean that the fact is not true, that the Spirit has come to reside inside of you. Each Christian and every Christian, he may not seem uh, present in terms of outward appearance, but he is present in the life of every Christian. So... That's his location. He's in us, in us, and he will stay there until we are with Jesus. So for the current time, for those who put their trust in Jesus, the spirit, God himself, is in us. And when we go to be with God, we will be with Jesus again. We will never be ever again separated from God. It will not happen. I hope that's an encouragement to you. I, I hope you think about that and you say, man, God's covering all the bases, isn't he? There's nothing that he's leaving out. Well, that's his location. Now, let's talk about his nature a little bit. What can we depend upon? Well, there's four words that are used in this passage. Now, you have to understand that if you go through the entire New Testament, you'd probably come up with uh, 15 or 20 different words that describe the spirit and, and his nature and, and, and what he does. But here are just four very simple ones. He's, he's a spirit. He's a counselor. He is truth, the spirit of truth. And he is the Holy Spirit. And we, we just pretend like that's one word. But it's really an, an adjective. He's a spirit, but he's the Holy Spirit. So that describes what he is like. Well, the spirit means that he's very real, but he's just not physical. Uh, and we have to allow that because if he was physical, then we could not be with him and he could not be in outside of us. He would be limited in time and space. So he's not physical and yet his, uh, you know, everybody in, in, in terms of the heavenly existence understands who he is and that he's present in the believer now. So he's very real, just not visible. The, the next thing we call him is a counselor. 
And that means that he's one who comes and he stands beside the believer. He's one who's called alongside to help you and to encourage you. Now, uh, today, uh, in fact, we have several counselors in, in, in this room this morning. And you ask a counselor, what's one of the greatest skills that a counselor needs? And, and that person will, each counselor would probably say, the ability to listen and to listen well. Well, uh, the Holy Spirit is sort of beyond that. If he knows your heart, he even knows the things you're not about to say. Okay, He, he, he knows what you're trying to hide. So he doesn't have to listen as much as, let's say, a, 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 a therapist would have to do. Now, <clears throat> I am told, Jim, by people that really love me, quit being my Holy Spirit and listen. So I'm apparently not a great human therapist, and that's okay. But one of the things that I have to do to be used by the Holy Spirit in others' lives is to take the time to to listen to them. Well, he is that counselor. He is another Jesus who comes alongside of us, and he directs us to the life that we've always desired to have, the life that God has designed us to share with him. Then he's called the Holy Spirit, means he shares God's nature of total perfection in every way, especially the ethical and moral. Let me, I was reading an account of this of someone I was studying. It was a, it was a lady who had gone to a department store to buy pajamas for herself. And, uh, uh, she was a known teacher in her community. She taught the Bible. So she, she goes there and she says, you know, I really wanted this top, but the bottom that went with it was the wrong color. So I was looked around to see if anybody was watching, and I took that bottom, and I took one that seemed to match better, and then I took them both up to the cash register, and uh, <clears throat> whatever the system was then, she, she got away with it. And she said, I got away with it until I got in my car, and started driving home. And suddenly I was sick to my stomach. Now, she's very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I could have gone weeks, okay? (laughs) Uh, Maybe even the rest of my life. But, But she's very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And she said, I had to just turn the car around and go back, go up to the same cash register, talked to the same lady and tell her what I did. And she gave me a look that was just the most astounding look. And she really couldn't figure out, like, you're doing this and you feel bad about this? Or if it was like, I can't believe you call yourself a Christian. It could have been either, right? And we've both been in those situations. Well, the Holy Spirit was, because he is living inside of her, said, this is wrong. He's not just a conscience. He's a conscience because he he compares ourselves to the complete righteousness of God. And we all fall short of that. And we all need to repent. And we all need forgiveness. But that's why he's called holy. He's also called the spirit of truth. And when we say the spirit of truth, that means nothing false comes out of him. He will not accuse you of false accusations. He, he he will not let um, people say, oh, I know God, and start to speak about him. And, 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 because this happens to me. I, 
For some reason, I find myself among people who are sort of syncretistic in their faith, and, and they, they, they said, I read the Bible maybe a decade ago. I didn't get much from it. So I'm just letting God lead me along the way that he wants to without ever checking it out with God's word. And uh, so I've, I've heard some real pips, okay? And I, I, because the Holy Spirit's a counselor, I listen and I nod and go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then I just have to ask questions. Not, not to accuse them and say, you dear idiots. That's what I want to say and leave out dear. Okay. But that's what I want to say. But I realize that's not going to move them. And I just have to ask the questions that, that let them know, you know, God has something far more solid, far more substantial, far more long lasting. It, it goes back from creation. This is the God that wants to be in touch with you and dwell within you. He's the spirit of truth. And finally, understand this too. Uh, the spirit, the Holy Spirit is not one who forces you to do his will. In fact, one person said, the spirit is the ultimate gentleman. He lets you know what you should be doing, what you should be thinking. He wants to influence your desires. And, and, and he wants God to grow greater in you. But he's not going to force you to do that. And so there have been times in my life in which I've stopped his influence or, or diminished it because of choices that I've made. I have chosen from time to time not to keep in, tup, in, 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 in not to keep in step with God's spirit. Who dwells within me. You might say, I shut him off. I turn the valve. I, I take a break. But that's who he is. And if that is who he is, what can you count on him doing within us? Well, <clears throat> let's look then. If he's flowing from within and coming out, that means it won't be just based upon behavior, which can have all the wrong motivations. But this is saying that if he's flowing from within, the behavior changed because first our minds and our hearts are changing, our desires are changing, our values are changing, and with that comes outside change. That's who the Holy Spirit is. That is how he works. So he loves to change lives, but in such a way that people will be looking at you just as they looked at Jim Cannon and they said, what's happened to you? And don't take those plants. No. What's happened to you? Did you go away and get religion? Jim, are, are, are you about to die and you're trying to make your life right and you know repent at the last moment? People can't understand it. Often it comes very, very quickly. And so it's hard to explain, but really what is happening here is you are being empowered by the Holy Spirit to have that transformational relationship with God that makes changes at the very core of your life. So we tell our friends, well, I think it's God's presence. It's God's presence in her life or his life. And, it, and it's, God's, uh, it's God who is responsible. And, and I just want to honor him in the way that my life has changed. So uh, we, we sometimes shudder, don't we, when people say, well, I, I've, uh, I've stopped taking my medication for religious reasons. And, uh, and so, uh, they say they're just, uh, gonna pray and trust God for that. And when we hear that, we know what the news media is gonna be and, and how that's gonna work out. And, and we, we hate to hear that. But God's Spirit first empowers you, but then understand secondly, He encourages you. 
and he wants you to know that his words to you are true. And he wants you to be one who keeps going. So put these two together. First of all, he empowers you. I have known people who have said, because God is in my life, I'm stopping this addiction cold turkey. I don't need any help, and away I go. And I've seen it happen. But for most people, it's an ongoing process. And so if it's something like uh, an addiction or, or medication that, that you, know, you must take, uh, it, it often goes over a period of time. And when you go over a period of time like that, you often find, I, it's just not working. It, you know, I feel weak. I, I, can't, I can't seem to make it. And that's where God's spirit comes, and he goes from the empower to also the encourager. I'm with you here. We're going to do this together. We're going to see how much you can grow how much you can become like your Savior, Jesus. How much uh, things can change in your life. I am not leaving you. You will not be an orphan to me. And then finally, he equips us. Now, please understand the work of the Spirit is far broader, does much greater things. These are just the things that we find in this passage. He is the one who equips us for effective service. Um, One of the great truths of the Spirit is that when a person trusts in Jesus, the Spirit comes inside, and in some ways, or maybe many ways, at least one way, God's Spirit equips us or gives us a gift to build up the faith of others whose lives we will touch. Now, I know that in this role... Uh, As your pastor, I have a couple things that I think God has set me aside to do, and I hope to do it all of my life. Uh, I I love being a student of God's Word and teaching God's Word and preaching God's Word. I love that part of my job. But I also understand that it has to affect people, not just me. And, And so I love getting with people and just hearing, okay, tell me about the work of God that's going on in your life. What questions do you have? How can I help you? That's called the pastor-teacher role. And and I've understood that even though I didn't think I always had that, I've had it. And I enjoy it. It helps me go to work every day because I, I love my work. God has given you certain gifts and he's left certain ones away from me. He says, no, Jim, you're not going to have those. Let me tell you what some of the ones I don't have. Um, When um, we got our new worship leader, uh, I was sort of hoping that he would look at me and say, Jim, you have a fabulous voice. (laughs) And uh, you ought to be right up here. And uh, we're going to have you sing, Oh, Holy Night. uh, And and he never did. (laughs) I guess I got over that. I haven't asked to be on the building committee. Why? Because they realize put a tool in these hands and you're in trouble. I, I haven't asked to be organizers of committees or leaders of most committees. It, there's many things in which God has not equipped me to do. And I, I know that these are the things that God has done. And, and these are some of the things that God probably hasn't done. How about you? If it is true that God's spirit, when he comes into our lives does give us a gift for effective service. By that I mean not just serving him, but building up the lives of others. What 
has He done in you? How can you be used by Him to be of help and encouragement and be part of God's transformational relationship uh, through His Spirit into the lives of others? It doesn't mean you don't get butterflies. I about vomited this morning, okay? Uh, it doesn't mean you don't get nervous. It doesn't mean you, you, you know, you've overcome all fear. It doesn't mean any of that. But you have a growing skill in doing it. You have a sense of purpose and a thankful heart and a sense of joy that this is what God has set me aside to do. Isn't Jesus amazing? I mean, he gets with all the Jews and he tells them, okay, I'm, you know, there's living water that wants to flow from within you. Then he gets with his own disciples and says, very soon, very soon, you're going to be filled with the Spirit in such a way in which it's just going to throw you out there. And and you're going to be doing the same work and even greater work than you did with me. Now you're going to be doing it with the Spirit dwelling in you. And that is exactly what he's saying to each of us. So let me end with a question that I began with. Are you hungry for God? That's the question you have to... And there's only two choices on that one. It looks like the song you sang, not about eternity, but yes or no. I know some of you want to say, well, maybe a little bit. No, no. Yes or no, okay? Come on, you can do that. Yes or no? Are you hungry for God? Then if so, do you get it? That because God's spirit is a gentleman, he is waiting on you to tell him. To show him so that you can sense his influence and his power growing in you. He wants to empower you, encourage you, and equip you. Let's pray. Almighty God, we look at that great account of Jim. There, making life's decisions as a young college student making some really bad ones. And then coming down to his knees in repentance, not just asking you into his life, but yielding his life. It is the yielding to the Holy Spirit that tells God we're hungry for more of him. Are you hungry for God? Lord, forgive me for being so distracted so many times with so many other things. Forgive us all. But down in our core, even there'll be moments when we, you know, put you aside, down in our core, we want to continually be saying, Lord, I want more of you. Swage this thirst. Quench it. Because there's just more and more of you in me. And God's people said, Amen.